Our Bible reading this morning is taken from the second chapter of the book of Jonah. This can be found in the church Bible on page 928. Page 928 of the church Bible. So Jonah chapter 2 and uh, beginning at verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Juna onto dry land. Thank you. Great. If you can keep that passage uh, open, we're going to go through that passage now. Um, and we have this opportunity for everyone from every language to access what I'm saying. Um, so that's great. You can go onto that translation device, um, and I'll be testing you afterwards. No, not really. My kids asked me, are you going to tell any jokes this morning? And um, I looked at the passage and I, I said, sorry, um, this is quite a serious passage today. There's more humor next week uh, or in the following chapters. Um, but today we're looking at a prayer from the depths. Last week we saw Jonah descending. Remember, running away from God, he went down to Joppa. He got on the ship and he went down into the hold of the ship. He went down into a deep sleep. And then when the sailors threw him overboard, he went down into the depths of the ocean and finally down into the, bellies, at the belly of the, the great sea beast. So Jonah has hit rock bottom. And only when he hits rock bottom does he wake up. Remember we said that last week he was sleeping and the author very skillfully uses that depiction of sleep as a descriptor of his negligence, his apathy, and his sin. And that when the author does that, we're looking in the mirror. We're looking at ourselves, our own apathy and negligence very often. But the other very skillful thing that the author does is he makes Jonah personify the nation of Israel. Jonah replays the history of the nation of Israel. What is the history of the nation of Israel? Well, God called this 
special people out, not because there was anything special about them. In fact, they were hard-hearted and, and proud and, and, and full of rebellion, as we see in this story. Um, but he called them and he made a covenant with them. And in that covenant, Israel promised to be faithful to the Lord, to his ways and his laws. And yet they were continually unfaithful. They spiraled down and down and down in terms of injustice, in terms of violence, in terms of apathy and negligence, but also in terms of worshipping other gods. What was God's response to that? Well, he sent prophets. The role of the prophet was to call Israel back to this covenant, but also to say, hey, you guys, if you don't return to God, there will be consequences. And of course, the major consequence was they got swallowed up, the northern kingdoms by Assyria, of which Nineveh is the capital, and the southern kingdom by Babylon. They got swallowed up and devoured. In fact, some of the prophets used that very language. Let's have a look at Hosea 8, verse 8. Israel is swallowed up. Now she is among the nations like something no one wants. And then Jeremiah 51 Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. Like a serpent, he has swallowed us. And if you look at the rest of the verse, it says, then he has vomited us out. And Jonah is the one Israelite who replays all of that in his story. The other thing the prophets do is they depict Babylon as a beast, and Israel, after 70 years of exile in Babylon, is vomited out, and the word of the Lord comes again. So Jonah replays all this. He's the Israelite who, who lives out the whole story of being swallowed up and trapped, and then through grace, released and recommissioned, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. At the beginning of the story, Jonah is proud, the wind, the breeze is in his, air, in his hair. He's on his way to Tarshish. There is huge open space before him, and then things close in. He's trapped in the belly of the beast, just like Israel in Babylon. So what we see in chapter 2 is Jonah praying through this experience, praying through this realization and this hardship, praying from the depths of humiliation. He's here because of his own choices, of course. Now, you might hit rock bottom because of someone else's choices, because of the overflow of sin and brokenness in this world that's left you at rock bottom. And what do you do? What do you do when things close in on you? One boxer said, everyone has a plan until someone punches them in the face. What do you do? Well, you can't do anything except cry out. And so what we can do this morning is we can use this prayer as a set of glasses to think about our own story. So we're going to divide our time into two. We're going to look at Jonah's grave, verses 1 to 6a, and then God's grace. Jonah's grave is very clear in verse 2. From inside the fish, verse 1, Jonah prayed. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. 
you listen to my cry. From that sentence, we see something that is true right throughout the Psalms, right throughout Lamentations, right throughout other wisdom literature in the Bible, that God is most close and most involved when we cry out to him from the pit. Something really ingrained on my heart and my mind was that experience the Chilean miners went through in 2010 when they were stuck for 69 days in a copper pit. Do you remember that? And the president met all of them as one by one. They were rescued and came out, and he hugged them. Each soul was so precious. And it was such a depiction to me of, of the, the grace of salvation, the experience that all of us who call ourselves Christians have been through, rescued, rescued by God. He heard my cry. Or the Tamluang uh, pit in Thailand, that football team that was trapped. And I think people lost their lives even uh, rescuing them, the cost of that. But so many of my go-to psalms, and I have go-to psalms when I'm in distress, uh, articulate this closeness of God when we're in dire circumstances. My favorite psalm, I don't know about yours, is Psalm 34. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. So we've got the last of these downward movements now. Jonah has hit rock bottom. Now, folks, have you ever been there? Have you ever had this experience of utter humiliation and powerlessness where all you've been able to do is, is cry out to God? Raise your hand if you've been through such an experience as that. Not every one of you will know what I'm talking about right now, but perhaps you will, because this is what life is like, unfortunately. But the Bible, the poetry of the Bible, teaches us that time and time again, when we're at bottom, when we're at the end of ourselves, God is most inward, most involved, and he's most close. Because humiliation and disaster has the tendency to heighten our awareness of God's presence and can draw us there. Another of my favorite psalms is what we opened with, Psalm 40. It comes after probably the second most bleak psalm, Psalm 39 and Psalm 88. There's nothing positive in them. But Psalm 40 comes after 39, and it says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry, and he rescued me from the pit, from the muck and the mire, and he set my feet on a rock, and he put a new song in my mouth, the song of praise to my God. And many will see this and will praise God. Some of you, you have hiked through the mountains of Iran and Turkey as you've sought to escape a tyrannical regime that has oppressed you. You've given up everything. You've left your family. You've put your, your life in the hands of people smugglers. And you've been rescued from the belly of the pit, haven't you? You've been rescued from a, a dictatorship, rescued from those smugglers. It's his grace. And God was particularly close to you in those times. But the second thing we see is that God sometimes will have to deal us a severe mercy to wake us up. 
Remember, Jonah was just sleeping in his negligence and his apathy and his rebellion. I hate Ninevites. I don't want to ever go there. And God had to de- deal him at what we call a severe mercy to wake him up. And it really was very severe. Have a look at verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Now, who hurled Jonah into the sea? The sailors. (laughs) But Jonah says it was you. It was God. God threw him over. And that's a hard pill for us to swallow. Jonah sees God's hand in this, in dealing him a severe mercy to wake him up. Now, God was not responsible for Jonah's stupid decisions, but he was involved. In another story, Joseph. Joseph is thrown into a pit by his 11 brothers. And so Joseph's experience wasn't the result of his own choices, but the overflow of his own brother's sin. And yet he also sees God's involvement in this. When as prince of Egypt, at the end of the the story, he says, you guys meant it this for evil, but God meant it for good. God is involved sometimes, and that's really hard for us, because sometimes we might need to get overthrown over the side of the boat to wake us up. And that reminds us of a a truth that God isn't here to make us all happy and safe. That's quite a naive view of God, unfortunately. No, God is here to call us and to mold our characters so that we somehow, as we go on through all the dips and troughs and snakes and ladders, somehow we become more like Jesus through life. That's That's what God's plan for us is to do. So in our lives, God may have to deal with us severely sometimes to bring us to an end of ourselves so that we see how selfish we are, how broken this world is, how, how we need Jesus to rescue us. See, no human heart is going to believe the gospel just by being told, you are a sinner. No, sometimes you have to be shown. And sometimes you have to be shown through a severe mercy how broken, how brutal everything is and how much we need Jesus. And that's really hard because that might mean that we get, that we get thrown overboard. In verses 5 and 6, Jonah has a seaweed turban around his head. He's overwhelmed. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Jonah's overwhelmed, but what we're going to see next is the depths have always been an arena for God's amazing grace. Every song we're singing this morning is about his amazing grace. I don't know if you've noticed that. First of all, we're going to see that God's grace wakes us up. We see this even in verse um, 6b. But you, Lord, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. God's grace wakes us up. Jonah, last week, we saw that he was asleep, and he was so unaware that he was a wrecking ball in the lives of everybody around him. He was asleep, and everyone was freaking out. But now Jonah is wide awake. And only grace does that. 
becoming a Christian, yes, we need to make that choice, but the, the, the first and the primary work is done by God in our hearts through his Holy Spirit to wake us up. An old hymn goes like this, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to your cross I cling. Now, our culture, of course, uh, really preaches the opposite because we live in a culture dominated by two things. Remember what they are. Technology and therapy. Yeah? And we rely so much on technology and therapy to perhaps breach the chasms in our lives that we think that somehow we can work our way to God. But Jonah here in verse 6a, he says, To the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth barred me in forever. Jonah came to the position where he realized that nothing can breach the chasm between us and God. Not therapy, not technology, nothing. There's no way to open those gates. There's no way to make good our debts. Grace is our only hope. And grace, folks, is the most beautiful word in the English language. It's an even more precious word than justification or sanctification or even salvation. Grace is the supreme descriptor of who God is. And I want to use the rest of my time to try to articulate what God's grace is like. One thing that God's grace does in our lives is that it reveals to us our idols. Have a look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Now, I'm not really sure that Jonah knew what he was saying here. But what had Jonah idolized? Jonah had idolized his own freedom and his autonomy. Do you idolize that? Your own freedom and your autonomy? Perhaps we ought to ask this question. What is an idol? An idol is anything good or bad that becomes a God substitute. Anything that absorbs our time and our money and our attention in the place of God. I often use this story. Once I was in um, King's Cross Station. I was going up north. It was a Saturday lunchtime. And I heard this wave of noise. What's that? Coming off the train... I saw all these black and white scarves. You know what they're shouting? Toonami! Toonami! And I thought, no way. The train to Newcastle is like four and a half, five hours, if it's a fast train, yeah? And these guys are coming down. They were, I think they were playing Arsenal or Spurs. I wasn't sure. And they were, they were singing. And uh, obviously, it had an early start. They were, they were drinking. They were probably going to find somewhere to eat. And then they were going to go to the game, and then they were going to have something to eat, and then they were going to get back at goodness knows what time, gone midnight, or maybe stay the night. And these guys do that week after week. And Newcastle isn't a wealthy place. And I thought, man, they, this, is, this is a religion, and their devotion to it puts many of us to shame, the way they were singing, the passion, the joy, the community. But it can, it can be an idol, definitely. Now, Jonah, I think, was still articulating his sense of superiority and self-righteousness because he was thinking of Ninevites and pagans who actually worship literal stone images and stuff. 
and he was saying, they forfeit the grace. I, I will cry, salvation belongs to the Lord. And the, the irony of, of the story of Jonah is he wasn't really realizing what his own idols were. But another thing that grace does is it brings us to the place of sacrifice. Verse 9, I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I'll make good, and I'll say salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, Jonah has talked a couple of times about the temple. Have you seen that? 7b, my prayer rose to your holy temple. And verse 4b, I will look again towards your holy temple. Why is he articulating about the temple? The temple establishes two truths. One, we're all sinners and we're unable to save ourselves. Two, we're only saved by very costly measures, that is, the death of an innocent substitute. Now, we know that Jesus is that substitute. Jesus is that Lamb of God slain for us. Jesus is the true Jonah who was thrown overboard, and for us, the storm goes calm. Jesus is the one who took the storm into his own flesh. Jesus is the one who was swallowed up for us. But Isaiah 25 says that he swallowed death itself. Death could not hold him. And so he conquered the beast and he conquered death. And as a result of that, grace can be shown to us. And grace draws us to that place of sacrifice. We can't do it ourselves. Verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. In our humiliation, in our sin, in our addiction, in our guilt, when we're trapped, we cry out to God and he shows us unmerited generosity, grace. We can't work it up ourselves, no therapy, no technology. This is grace. Now, folks, how is this God's word to you today? Because I don't just stand up here and give a talk. I've been praying that God would speak to each one of us. I can't really answer that question, though. I, I don't know. But what I do know is this. Many of you are in the belly of the beast. Many of you have been dealing with long-term Ill, Ill health. Many of you are crying out for your, your children. Many of you are in long-term caring relationships where it's worn you out. Many of you are waiting for your asylum claims and it's been tough and you've been through a tough interview and it's, it's been hard. Many of you are brokenhearted. Many of you are battling with sin and addiction. And that's a crazy place to be. All those positions are a crazy place to be, but it brings us to this basic position where we have to say, I will trust you. I will call out to you God of all grace. Jonah had to get to the very bottom. He had to spiral down and down and down and hit rock bottom. And folks, you know, the usual place to learn the secrets of God's grace is at the bottom. Crying out. But what we see in the Bible is that God doesn't leave us at the bottom Instinctively, as human beings, we think hard work, technology, therapy, something like that's going to get us out. But the gospel says, no, he's done the work. Religion says, do, do, do. 
gospel says, done. Rest in me. Call out to me. This is my definition of God's grace. God's generosity when we are at rock bottom. No heart will dare to believe in God's grace and in the gospel until it is the only hope. And here for Jonah, it's the only hope. Often there are three circumstances that bring us to salvation. Hard circumstances, some understanding in our heart of God's grace, and then we cry out in prayer. If that's you this morning, you know what to do. Cry out to him in prayer.